Well, before I actually get into the message this morning, let me just say that from July of 2004 to January of 2007, with time off for Lent and Advent, I preached through the Gospel of Mark in in detail. And it's kind of interesting to go back and compare then with now. But I want to give you some background that's very important this morning. There are two main ways to look at Mark's gospel, and I had two powerful commentaries in addition to some others. And the first one shows that in Mark's gospel, after his third healing on the Sabbath, so we're talking about the very beginning of chapter 3, the Pharisees and the Herodians, okay, Jews and Romans, enemies, plot together to kill Jesus. And from this point on, the gospel continues to focus on how Jesus will save people by his death on the cross, which he predicts three times. In other words, dominating Mark's gospel from beginning to end is the cross of Jesus Christ and the price he paid for our sins. But secondarily to that, and this is very interesting because people have tied themselves in knots for as it is written in the book of Isaiah and then he quotes Zechariah well there's supposed to be a whole page turn between those two so Mark also comes at the idea that Jesus came as a servant, a servant to give his life to ransom people, Mark 10. And in this way, he fulfilled all of Isaiah's prophetic words, especially the four servant songs in the second portion of the book of Isaiah. And then more importantly, what does this mean to us? Or I shouldn't say more importantly, but practically, what does this mean to us? Well, just as Jesus went to his cross, his followers must take up their crosses and follow him. So there it is. It's about the cross and the suffering servant and how Isaiah is perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. And what I have just said is a very good thing for us to meditate about and on and to practice beginning this very first Sunday of Lent and going all the way through Good Friday and what is called Silent Saturday before the resurrection. So, now to get more particular, our passage this morning is about a conflicted well-to-do man... (laughs) who ran up to Jesus and kneeled before him. This passage reflects the theme of the sacrifice needed to follow Jesus. I surrender all. And in order to receive life everlasting. Now he thought he could do something to inherit this life that is everlasting. Um, do something to inherit a gift. But that's not quite how it works. There was one way that he was right that's kind of interesting. I was thinking about a human inheritance. Uh, Any inheritance. What has to happen to get an inheritance? The, the, The giver, 
has to die, right? So what can you do? You know, murder is out of the question, but you can patiently and productively wait until that person dies and you inherit it. But that's really all that you can do. But we heard this morning already, Jesus did put forward the condition. It's humanly impossible, but he put forward the condition. He would have to sell this man, okay? He's not saying this for everybody, and I'll develop this more later. But this man had to sell his many possessions and then give the entire proceeds to the poor and moreover follow Jesus. But the man was so attached to his possessions that he walked away sad and still lost. And we don't know what happened to him later. And then Jesus went and said, okay, you're my disciples now. I've chosen you and you are following me. Um, He said, salvation is impossible through human effort. But God has more more than enough power to save. And then he added that people who, out of gratitude for their salvation from God, are willing to leave everything behind and follow him, they will get back more even now. Of course, there'll be some persecutions thrown in, but it will all be worth it. This is the point I want us to get this morning, the heart of the passage. It will be worth it in the age to come, receiving life everlasting in the presence of God. So, one more thing. The psalm just beautifully captures the whole spirit of this, encouraging people to know God and his word in order to worship him reverently. And those who can do this will discover, discover that God and his word are more desirable than all the gold in the world. And that's an awful lot of stuff. So let's go deeper into our scriptures this morning uh, to reinforce these very general truths with specifics. So when it comes to the passage um, in Mark, it neatly divides into two halves, Jesus and the man and Jesus and his disciples. So we'll start with this man asking Jesus what he may do for lasting life. And Jesus says he must give up his possessions now for treasure in eternity. But he goes away sad and still lost. All right. So it starts with the man. Okay. Quickly summarized, he runs up to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit life everlasting. And Jesus then questions him concerning the second great commandment. So we'll go through it now phrase by phrase. He's on a journey in the way. One, having run and having kneeled to him, he was asking him, teacher, good. What may I be doing that life for the ages I may receive as an inheritance. So Jesus is going about his way. He's always going about his way. And what we would call interruptions don't bother him one little bit. So a man 
runs up to him, kneels in worship, and he makes a request. And here is his request. He wanted to know what he may do. So the result would be literally life for an eon, which actually is a Greek word come into English and dropping the A. And then Jesus says, why me? Thou art calling good. No one good if not or except one God. Here's a reality check, okay? With this question and his following statement, Jesus is saying, do you fully understand who I am? Okay. It's a reality check for this man and for all of us. And it's something we might meditate on during the season of Lent. Jesus is God. A lot of people try to say no, but he is he he's, brings that out over and over again. So then he goes on, and, and this is specially designed for this man, actually. He says, the commandments thou have known. Not thou may murder. Not thou may commit adultery. Not thou may steal. Not thou may bear false witness. Not thou may defraud. And thou must be honoring the father of thee and the mother. So Jesus now gives five of the six commandments that make up the second great commandment to love thy neighbor as thyself. And, and, and I believe because he talked about false witness and then he brings in fraud, he does this, uh, because Massive wealth accumulation usually involves some measure of defrauding somebody else. But I think with Jesus, it was beyond a probability. Even though he wasn't going to directly challenge him, he probably knew some of that wealth was not acquired the right way. Okay, but now I have a question for you all, and and if you've read study Bibles or commentaries or heard sermons on this passage or been in Bible studies, you probably know the answer. Which one of the six love thy neighbor commandments did Jesus leave out here? You can read it if you want. (laughs) Let the Sabbath That's a God one. That's the first commandment, the first great commandment. Coveting. Coveting. He did not say, thou may not covet. And what's really important about, well, I'll I'll wait wait my time on this. Um, So now the man says, because Jesus pulled back on one of them, he kept all of these. Jesus loved him, but asked just one more thing of him, to give to the poor so that he may have eternal treasure. But he could not do this and went away sad. So the man is saying to him, teacher, these all I have kept from my youth. And as you think about those, you know, five kind of extreme ones, and everybody thinks of the extreme, not the Sermon on the Mount. Um, many people really think they have obeyed these five commandments. 
okay? I didn't kill anybody. I never committed physical adultery. I don't lie too much. Uh, I haven't cheated anybody. I have been honoring my parents the best I can. I'm a good boy. I'm a good girl. But Paul used coveting, if you remember, in Romans 7. And Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees who did everything to the letter of the law. And he said, I would not have known what sin is if the commandments had not said, thou shalt not covet. So it wasn't really just this man. Then Mark continues, then Jesus, having earnestly beheld him, loved him. And said to him, one thing is being lacking thee. Thou must be going. Whatsoever thou art having, thou must sell. And thou must give to the poor. And promise thou will have treasure in heaven. And come, thou must be following me. Now this is interesting. The, the word here for look is not the usual word. It's a stronger word. He really focused on him for a while. And after closely looking at him and probably into his heart even. And realized this man was sincere at this point with these commands. He loved him. He loved him. But one thing. There's always in every one of us. One thing, at least one thing, in which every human being falls short, falls short of what God expects of us. And so Jesus gives him three or four commands that will help him to overcome his sin of covetousness. Now, if he could give everything to the poor, he would have treasure in heaven. And the big question here right now, the infinitely valuable question, more than a million dollar question, can he give up everything in order to have no money for, let's say, 60 years? Let's say he accumulated this great wealth by age 25. He's not going to likely live past 85, right? So can he give this all away for eternal treasure? And meanwhile, for no more than 60 years, he follows Jesus with nothing. And I think this whole story is telling us he didn't realize that what people give up for Jesus, it's just given up temporarily. It's only temporary. It's not for eternity forever and ever. Amen. But then we're told, but he having been saddened at the word, went away being sorrowed because he was having many possessions. His desire to keep his possessions caused him to walk away from everlasting life. Sad and grieving. Now, John Foreman has written some lyrics. Switchfoot has a song which says, and this is powerful, you possess your possessions or they possess you. And it was probably written with this story in mind. This man sadly was fully possessed by his possessions to his eternal harm. 
And then going on, it says, having looked around, Jesus is saying to his disciples, how with difficulty those possessions having into the kingdom of God they will enter. Okay? Possessions can keep people out of God's kingdom. So here is our first application for Advent. We must prayerfully, Advent, I mean Lent. They sound kind of alike, don't they? Um, Let's prayerfully examine ourselves concerning the obstacle of coveting, which can stop us from experiencing the fullness of kingdom of God. Now, there's many other obstacles that we can have in our lives too, and we've got almost 40 days left. So that deals with the man. The second half now, the disciples have their minds blown, okay? And they ask, who can be saved? And Jesus replied, salvation is only in God. And... Once somebody is saved, anyone who's willing to leave all for his sake for a mixed return now in something better later will have full blessings, will be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And then we'll take a look at a paragraph in David's psalm which said God's word, knowing God through his word, enables people to value him more than gold. So that's like the punchline for especially disciples, but for everybody. Okay, so it starts out with the disciples being amazed that those who are blessed with riches by God, they have to struggle to enter God's kingdom. And then they ask Jesus, so who can be saved? Mark tells us, but the disciples were being astonished at his words. These words caused the disciples to be both amazed and startled. You see, Jewish prosperity theology took the generalities of Proverbs that talked about the prosperity of the righteous. And they made these general observations about life into pure promises. But Those of us who are watching The Chosen know that all people are conflicted, right? And even among the Jews who thought that they could be prosperous for uh, being righteous and following God, uh, I love this saying that we hear uh, in episode after episode and things that happen to the disciples of Jesus even early on talked about they wanted to crucify him and he hadn't even called the 12 yet. It has never been easy for our people. And that's pure wisdom. The wisdom of blessings to the rich, that's more Job's friends. Okay, continuing. But Jesus, again having answered, is saying to them, children, how difficult it is being into the kingdom of God to enter. Easier it's being for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a well-to-do man into the kingdom of God 
to enter. So Jesus is repeating to his disciples what he had said just after the man left. First, he said, beware of many possessions. Now he just uses a a different word. Um, The well-to-do are also struggling. Now, I don't know how many bad Bible studies you've been to or bad commentaries or study Bibles you've read, but he really is saying that no human can enter God's kingdom, especially well-to-do people on their own efforts. I'm not even going to go into them, but you've probably all heard people try to explain away the impossibility of this metaphor or image. There's all kinds of junk out there. But the bottom line, Jesus is saying that it's impossible on our own, but by the grace of God, those who can give up what they have for the rest of their life on earth in order to follow him for eternal um, blessings and eternal life, it becomes worth it for eternity. He's trying to say, look, follow God, gratefully give up all you have because what you give up to follow him, it's just temporary. And now we got a bigger word. But all the more, they were being amazed, saying to themselves also, who is being able to be saved? Now, this word used here, that they're experiencing, here's the basic meaning of it, bewildered or overwhelmed in practice. Okay, this is no longer theory. Jesus is hitting them between the eyes in real life. They see this rich man go away. And then the best of all is to be struck out of one's senses. They just can't make sense of what Jesus is saying to them. And it's very interesting that they should ask each other, not Jesus, who can be saved. But I think they're on the right track here because when they say be saved, that question is implying that salvation, in order for salvation to happen, it's something that somebody does for people, not something that is done by people. And realizing it can't be done by them is that man presumed they're on the right track. So Jesus uh, throws them more information to help them. He says that um, God can do what people cannot. Then in response to Peter, he says, and yes, anyone who leaves everything for Jesus, for his sake, will receive much more now and especially in the life to come. So, and, 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 and hear this, having earnestly beheld them, Jesus is saying, with men, impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. This look It is the exact same word, the exact same look that he gave, the look of love that he gave to this man who first approached him. And now Jesus strongly states that what men are not able to do to save themselves, God is strong, mighty, and powerful enough to do 
anything, including saving people. Another picture forward to the cross, actually. Okay. So, here's something for us to do. This isn't just 2,000 years ago. We must realize no one can save himself so that we will fully trust in God's power to save us. And also realize that whatever following Jesus costs, it is nothing compared to eternity, eternity with God in his presence. So again, what we have to give up to follow Jesus is just temporary. So now Peter begins to say to him, so Peter, you know, he could go on and on and on. So he starts with this. Behold, we have left all and we have followed thee. Now the tense of that verb, Peter's reminding Jesus, these 12 left everything behind to follow him and they are still following him. Everything that's happened to this point, nothing has turned us away from following you. And then we're told Jesus is saying, truly, I'm saying to you all, no one is being who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake or for the sake of the gospel. If not, he may receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions. There is a lot in this statement of Jesus. First of all, he lists five relationships that might be asked to leave, that we might be asked to leave, and he brackets these with two possessions that many people will have, houses and some land. Why Why is he asking this? He's asking this sacrifice for the sake of him and for his gospel. And what's the gospel? Namely, what he will give, his very life so that anyone may be saved. Again, the cross is here. And then he pronounces a hundred times more, more in this age. Okay? Now, how can you have a hundred times more relationships and, and possessions like houses and land? I believe the answer is, when a person is joined to the church of Jesus by being baptized into the church by the Holy Spirit. And remember at the end of Acts chapter 2, it said, in the early church, all the believers had everything in common. It becomes a new family. The blessing of being a Christian and any Christian that is in a local church of a 100 people or knows a 100 Christians, you have as a 100 times more brothers, sisters. You share your possessions it's a hundred times better to be in God's church. But, and here's the kicker, and it's only in Mark, but it's true. There will be persecution because the world hates Jesus and his people. I've given you four references from Gospel Acts 3 and from an epistle. So here's the hard part, but that's what Lent's all about, right? May we accept that persecution 
persecutions, plural, are part of the present day reward, air quotes, for leaving everything to follow Jesus. But then Jesus gets to the bottom line. And in the age coming life everlasting, that's eternal life, that's abundant life, that's fruitful life. It's the best life of all. So now we're coming full circle, okay? This man had run up and said, I want to possess eternal life. What can I do? And Jesus says, it's not what you do. It's what God does for you. But if you will respond to what God has done for you, then you can have life that's everlasting. And Jesus can say this to his followers because their hearts are more open. And he's saying it to us. Remember, whatever we give up, For the sake of following Jesus, it's only temporary, just for this lifetime in this world. And then Jesus concludes, and I'm not sure if it's even part of this story, but he says it a lot, especially at the end of the vineyard parable. But many, they will be first now, last in the kingdom. And vice versa, the last first. So there's always reversals from human understanding in God's kingdom. Well, that's all about Mark, and I just love that this lectionary I'm using always picks such a perfect portion of the psalm. We we hear in this paragraph that was read, God's word is complete to make people wise, and then through worship, God makes people righteous so they value him above gold. Let me again go through it um, line by line. There's um, uh, four full lines here, eight half lines. Torah of Yahweh is complete, restoring the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is established, making wise the simple. The statues of Yahweh are upright, Rejoicing the heart in the commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. So David gives four truths about God's word. His instruction is complete, perfect, full. His testimony is established. Everything in the word is there. It's true. It's solid. His statutes are upright, straight, good. And his commandment is pure. And as a result, David said, God's word gives these four benefits. People's souls are restored. Simple people are made wise. People's hearts can rejoice. And um, eyes are enlightened. Jesus talked a lot about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Next, and this is the key truth in here. The fear of Yahweh is pure, enduring forever. The judgments of Yahweh are true, righteous altogether. It all starts with the fear of the Lord. And our seminary president put this right. Fear of the Lord means faith. Okay, faith isn't just something that's from us. It's from God. And when we realize how awesome God is so that we revere him, we have reverent fear of him 
everything falls into place. We have faith in the awesome God. Reverent worship for God is pure and everlasting. I didn't check the Septuagint, but I imagine Eon is there, which brings us back to what we saw in the gospel. And by his true judgments, the covenant God is able to make people righteous through salvation in Jesus. David only had a hint of it in his days. And then it says, being desired more than gold and much refined gold and sweeter more than honey, even dripping honey. So this poetry portion says that God in his word perfected and completed, we now know, in Jesus and his gospel are to be more desired than gold. And all people may possess this. And it doesn't matter what you have. You can be richer than that well-to-do man or like the poor widow with just two mites. Knowing God, worshiping God is the greatest thing. So let's worship him. Reverent worship of Yahweh is more desirable than all the gold in the world. And sweetest of all, such worship will be sweeter than the sweetest honey we can find in all creation. We even sang a song about creation this morning. So here's the bottom line, and then I'll wrap it up. Let us worship God by giving him all that he asks of us. It'll be different for each of us and different for different local churches. But let's just give it back to him in thanksgiving. And may we definitely leave here today placing a higher value on God than anything in the world. Don't let anything get in the way of continual worship of God, praising of him, putting him number one. That's what it's all about. So let me summarize it. A man who runs to Jesus and kneels before him, asks what he may do to inherit life for the age. And he's told he must give all he has to the poor and follow Jesus to have treasure in eternity. But he goes away sad and lost at that moment. So the disciples ask Jesus, who can be saved? And he replies that salvation is only possible in God. So once people have salvation in God through Jesus, they're willing to leave everything to follow him because they know they will receive more now in two ways and everything later Eternity in his presence, life that is life, and God's word makes people wise to worship him and value him more than gold. So it's all about God and his word, the eternal word, Jesus Christ. And remember what people give up to follow Jesus. It's just for this lifetime. It's temporary. It's not eternal.